0: The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Jesus spent 40 days out there fasting in the wilderness before being tempted. And that 40 days of fasting became the model for us in our Lenten practices. And so, we consider this story every year on this Sunday near the start of Lent. As a result, much of what there is to say about this story... You've probably heard before at least once. But let me rattle off a few examples in short order. First example, first angle on this text that you'll often hear in sermons. These temptations that Jesus faced are sort of like the temptations that we face, and sort of like the temptations the body of Christ, the church, has faced over the centuries. We're tempted to accumulate resources we don't need, to chase after prestige that we don't need and we yearn for power that you guessed it we don't need recognizing that purpose peace satisfaction you won't find them there in wealth reputation or influence and that's an important step recognizing that is an important step as we mature in our faith and yet we have to admit that we're sometimes tempted by them anyway Second angle, despite the name and that use of the word temptation, like I just used it just now, temptation may not be the best word for understanding this story. It's a translation that's probably hung on and will continue to hang on for the sake of tradition, but the way we use that word outside of church doesn't quite fit with how it's being used here, especially in this text. A better word would be test, maybe even trial, See, this isn't like Jesus had some chance of failing. He wasn't tempted as such. Instead, it's more about proving who Jesus really is, testing his identity. That's Satan's role throughout Scripture in the Old and New Testaments, and even in some stories that didn't quite make it in. He's an accuser. That's what his name literally means. He goes around trying to prove guilt rather than... You know, our cultural imagination of one who tries to trick people into being guilty, he instead goes and shows where the guilt is. Now, this angle, by the way, harkens us back to the book of Job and gives us yet another example of where Jesus does something that's already in the tradition, but does it better. Third angle, though this one you probably maybe haven't heard so much, fasting wasn't regarded as a way to become vulnerable normally. In fact, much like we saw last week with mountaintops, ancient people and modern people alike recognize that something happens within ourselves. Depending on who you ask, they might point to their heart, their mind, their body, their spirit, something that fasting often brings about confidence, contentment. It tends to make us feel more at peace and closer to God. Now, maybe other Religious persuasions might say more in tune with the universe, something like this. However we spiritualize and think about those mystical experiences, the point is the experience seems to be nearly universal. And that's why the Gospels make a point of telling us Jesus became famished. There's something about that totality of the 40 days, like the good bits about fasting. We're in those 40 days and now they've passed. Now it's time to be done. So Satan comes at Jesus's weakest, right? That's how we often think of this test. And yet, the most powerful will, right? The son of God, the most powerful person in human history was at his weakest. And remember what Paul wrote just a few, well, he didn't write it a few weeks ago. We read it just a few weeks ago. God's weakness is stronger than our strength. So Again, talk about what this is not. This is not Jesus knew his Bible, so you should too. And it's not Jesus resisted temptation, so you can too. It's not that sort of lesson. This is about who Jesus is. What it's like, again, his identity is tested. That was the second angle. What is it like for who Jesus is at his weakest point to be tested? It's about who he is. It's not so much about who we are, though it does, like any text, speak to who we are, and we will circle back there. A fourth angle, perhaps for another year, the temptations Jesus faces roughly sound like the experiences of the Israelites following Moses out in the wilderness for those 40 days. Their testing of the Lord, their failures to commit, that sort of thing. So uh, they desired to return to Egypt as slaves so they could eat from flesh pots, they could have meat. They tested the Lord when thirsty, until water sprung from a stone. They turned to worship a golden calf rather quickly, and they even saved manna for a second day when they weren't supposed to, as though they were worried God might not provide bread when it was needed. So there you go, yet another example of Jesus doing something like what was already in the tradition, but doing it better than it had been done before. So that's four angles, not completely distinct. You saw there was some overlap, especially in that who Jesus is stuff. But at the same time, it sounds like they might even be a little bit out of sync, at least at a glance. Jesus's temptations are kind of like ours, but this isn't a lesson in how we are to handle them. In fact, Jesus being able to handle them isn't proof that we can handle them. And Jesus' temptations were more like a a trial to show who Jesus was. And what that says about us isn't necessarily so clear. What was just a test for Jesus that he passes probably easily, right? God's strength is, or God's weakness is stronger than our strength. This test that he passes easily could very well be a temptation for us that we would struggle to resist. And in everything humanly possible that Jesus does, he sets the best example. But some of what he does is not humanly possible. and So again, it sounds like it might be a little bit out of sync, but if we pull on the threads, we can clarify why it isn't really. And I wanted to put all of that out there because I think if one of those somewhat common preaching points has stuck with you and informed how you hear and read this text, that could very well undermine a new way of hearing it or reading it, even though it may not need to. There might be other angles that at a glance seem out of sync, but in fact fit just fine. Okay, so last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, I mentioned that we're following along with this Vocare program for Lent. The idea is we assess things like our values and our calling, and we see that those are in sync, that those go together. Wednesday was a call for renewal, in a sense for the sake of refreshment, but also for the sake of preparing to change something in our lives, in our church, because we can't improve things if we're not willing to change. And I emphasize the, seasons, the season-long emphasis on values. But values is the specific emphasis for today in that calendar. So if push comes to shove, and we really think about what is important to us, what's going to top that list of our values, when we're tested, trial-tempted, when we show who we really are, What values would people use to describe what they see? A fifth angle on this text that I encountered this week led— I shouldn't even say led. I mean, it pretty much is just a strange, though simple sort of question. Like, what if Jesus hadn't said no? Like, what if things hadn't gone differently? What if Jesus had accepted these ill-gotten gains? Practically speaking, what if Jesus had taken the reins and was the earthly king right then and there? Now, surely Jesus would have made the best king the world had ever seen. Justice and equity would have overtaken all the kingdoms of the world. And how bad for us could that be? Well, there's some pretty easy pushback there, sort of pushback we've already considered. That's simply not who Jesus is. He'd be somebody else for that to happen. That's not why he took on the flesh. That's not why he's there. And of course, he's not going to show deference to the devil. Yet for all these angles about what was going on out there, including who Jesus was, who Satan was, and several ways of deepening in our understanding about the Christ event as a whole, based on this test, based on the traditions, based on how he got there and where he's going. The one party that we only mentioned once, I only mentioned once, and we haven't really considered, but we always should at least a bit, is us. What does this say about us? And this fifth question, this what if, gives us a little bit of an idea. You know, the, the tests are going to be there in our lives, too, and they will reveal our. Values. So, yes, we should reflect on them, discern them, lean into them, be ready to have them be put to the test, know what it is that I think is important enough that when push comes to shove, when the time comes, I want the whole world to know that's what I thought was important. That's a a moral lesson we can glean from a story like this. Even if we can't do the sort of things Jesus can do, we can find some example of how to live in there. But going even deeper, again, who are we? What does it say about us? Well, considering this fifth angle, what if Jesus had done things differently? The answer is, (laughs) it's a bit cumbersome to parse out, but it would go something like this. We are people for whom Jesus would pass these sorts of tests. To bring it back to that question, What if Jesus were to take the offer and become king? We are not the sort of people who need a king like that as such. To phrase it yet another way, we, as in humanity, have no need for tyrants of any kind, no matter how good they might be. No need for strongmen, no need for charismatic leaders. Yeah, of course, leadership is important, and good leaders tend to lead to good results, but... There is a dual desire within us that is born out of sin. The desire to be in charge and the desire to at least have our guy be in charge. And both are born from the idolatry of self. Like, I would make the best choices, and therefore my preference would be the best. My preference for leader, mayor, governor, president, pastor, chair, king, queen, you name it. My choice... (laughs) is the best choice. That's a temptation that we fail. That's what we tell ourselves. But I bet anyone who's hearing this would gladly take Jesus to, as, you know, to take on the role of leader in any and every facet of our lives. And yet, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus deigns, at least in this age, to take on that role in a few select ways. As that moral example, sure, as a teacher, as a savior, and as a Soon, judge. We, that question about us, we didn't need another wannabe king espousing lofty promises. We have more than enough of those. We, humanity, the world, needed someone to reveal, again, who we really are and give an example of where our purpose is found and that it's not found in resources, power, or prestige, it's found somewhere else. It's in that somewhere else that we find who we really are. What we really needed is someone who lays down their life for the sake of those in need, for the sake of those who do not deserve the help, for the sake of those whom the world would soon forget. The world has had enough kings. The world needed someone who would humble themselves, even though he didn't have to. What Jesus does there reveals something about us because it reveals what we needed from God, both as an example, because we're called to do the same things, to reject the wealth, the prestige, the power, and instead give of ourselves, even to the point of laying down our lives for the sake of those who do not deserve it. And then on a, spiritual eternal soulful sort of level not just what are we to do but who are we and what does this mean for us to recognize that that is the very thing jesus did for us taking on the flesh facing the temptations passing the tests going to the cross that was the one who could have been king at the drop of a hat had that been his choice instead chose not to gave it all up for our sake The one who wants to rule the world has no business doing it. But the one who will rule the world chose not to for our sake. That's who God is and who we are. Amen.